You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of a new book, Auction Ready, How to Buy Property Even Though You're Scared Shitless. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner and mortgage broker, and together we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. It's been some time since we've interviewed a sales agent. In the early days of this podcast, we dedicated exactly half of our first 20 episodes to getting into the minds of real estate agents to understand their tricks of the trade and how they influence buyers. And of course, I recommend that you go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't as yet. Back then, in early 2018, it was a buyer's market in most parts of the country, and we gained so many insights into the way selling agents were responding to those tough market conditions. They all shared how they somehow managed to get offers from buyers while keeping their stressed sellers calm throughout their often drawn-out process. It's a different story now. In particular, Sydney and Melbourne seem to be well and truly in recovery mode, and agents certainly treat buyers differently when it's a seller's market. But does it require a different skill set to get a good outcome for their owners now the tables have turned? In this episode, we pick the brains of a sales agent who has written a book or two on this very topic. One's called Sold Above Market and the other one is called Journey to Sold. And he tells us he's written three others, so we'll maybe find out about that as well. Jeff Grist is a real estate agent on Sydney's Lower North Shore, selling homes from the Harbour Bridge, the Spit Bridge and across to North Bridge. And I've often said that Sydney is a city of bridges. Uh, Jeff says that he loves to sell nice homes for nice people to nice buyers so that everyone has a smile and it must be said that there's some pretty nice properties in his patch. Jeff is very keen about educating buyers and sellers to make the sales process as smooth as possible. And today we're going to get some great insights into how the best real estate agents operate. Thank you, Jeff. Hey, good morning. G'day, Jeff. Hey, Chris. Uh, I do love the title of your book when I'm trying to sell, but as a buyer, it doesn't fill me with excitement. I mean, sold above market. Um, I mean, <laughs> it's not great for the buyer, is it? Um, so, I mean, I mean, how does it really work? I mean, obviously that's the big name of the game for real estate, but you know, really isn't the buyer paying what the market pays, you know, or how does it actually, how do they pay more than the market? The, look, the buyers often set the prices on properties because it doesn't matter what the owner wants, it's what the buyer's going to pay. So you've got to find a, a balance between the two. And um, as I always say to people when they walk into an open home, are you browsing today or are you actually looking to buy? Because a lot of them are just on the hunt, but they're not actually buyers. So one of the big jobs a sales agent has to do is to, of the 50 people you meet in two weeks, work out which one's actually the buyers, you know, because the worst thing a buyer can say to me is, is, oh, hi, I'm not in a hurry. Or, <laughs> or even worse, I've been looking for one year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it doesn't what, make what, me feel like I want to devote a lot of time to them. 
You send them to a business like mine, which is what a lot of agents do. They say, oh, you need a buyer's agent. (laughs) And they come to me. That's exactly right. You've been looking for a year. Let's get to the nub of that. What is the right time, though? A year's probably too long, right? This is the serial serial offender. Yeah, Um, yeah, you've seen. You probably. They probably don't need to introduce themselves, to be honest, because if they've been looking for a year. (laughs) Hi. We've met before. Hello, Judy. 14 times. (laughs) Um, And you know they're never going to take action, or if they do, they. You know, they'll probably swap, swap and change. But well, they'll always yeah. be under market. Yeah. Not, so they're yeah. not going to so, be buying your sold above market So property, your next right? qualifying <laughs> question is always, when was the last time you bid at an auction? Yeah. And if they said, I missed out last weekend, I grab them with both arms oh, and I say, it. I love you, I want to help you, right? Yeah. If they say, I've never bid at an auction, it's alarm bells, you know. Yeah. What about like time? If I've been looking for a month, you know, is that a warning sign to say that I haven't got enough market knowledge is a you know, do you want to see someone, you know, because if they haven't only been looking for a month, sometimes they don't know what they really want. Yeah. You know, mm. do you find that is a, is a sweet spot where you think they've been in the market four months, maybe they've bid at an auction, this is all the buying signs. Yeah, exactly. So one of the problems is they say, I'm not sure if I'm buying on the eastern suburbs or the northern side, you know. Yeah. So, okay, that's a big decision. Mm. So you need to make that first, you know. Oh, and <laughs> the other one, don't ever say this to me. I'll, I'll see it when I see it, you know. Oh, I'll know. Yes. I'll just know. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, that's not going to help me find your property, you know. If you're... But your job's not really to find them one, is it? Well, if they come in and this one's not right for them, yeah, then my new job is help them find a property. So if if I can find them one in our area, and this happens from time to time, so a lady came in, looked at a property, she said, oh, look, I'm buying around here but it's just not this one. This is what I want, ABC. I said, I think I've got something like that coming up. I'll give you a call. Uh, she was the only one that saw it. She bought it because mm. she identified exactly what she wanted. Yeah. Owner was happy to go with her and deal's done. So she Did she pay above market? Oh, I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't sold a bargain for years. So did you, did you get that? <laughs> did you get that above market price because of the exclusivity and the scarcity that you're the only one seeing this? All of that. So tell, tell, you know, tell us how the lines you use. Yeah, well, look, the lines are, you, you know, pe- people say, oh, I'm making this offer and the owner's here. And I said, well, I've got to just bridge that gap in between. It's a bit like when you're the only bidder at an auction, right? People say, I'm not bidding against myself. Well, you're actually not. You're actually got to, you're bidding against the owner because yeah. he owns it now mm. and you want to own it. Something's got to give, you know, <laughs> so you're not bidding against yourself, I can assure you. But if it is that opportunity where there's just you, then you've got a great opportunity to, to, to try and bridge that gap at a, at a reasonable pace. But as soon as a new person walks into the equation, you've lost your opportunity. Mm. And it does happen, doesn't it? I do, it happens a lot, yeah, where um, something happens on a Saturday, it, it passes in at an auction, there isn't the interest, and a new person appears on Monday that has been... I said, where have you been? You know, oh, I've been well, in Canberra. I was keen on, <laughs> I was keen on Smith Street. I missed out of the auction. Now I'm back now in you're the market, keen on this one, and now yeah. I'm really upset because I've got the pain of that. And then I also my other option sold last weekend as well, and so then I've got nothing to. And so, so you're my new best friend. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're you're wounded and you want to buy a property, <laughs> and <laughs> this one ticks half your boxes. Come to Papa. And I say if it ticks more, if it ticks seven out of ten boxes, it's not thirty percent wrong. Yeah, I mean, I guess how big that 
eighth box is though, isn't it? If that's the number one, well, you know, actually, biggest somebody box. A- somebody asked me last night, said, how many boxes should be ticked? And I'm like, well, it depends how many boxes you got on your page. I mean, if you've got 110 boxes, I would suggest maybe 10% of them need to be ticked. Yeah. But if you've only got eight, maybe... 100% of them need to be ticked. Could well be. But, you know, what I know is I've never sold the perfect place and that's okay. Um, as someone said to me, I hate the pink bathroom. I say, okay, at Easy what fix. price is the pink bathroom acceptable? Mm. You know, like let's put a number on it. It's interesting you say that because um, I'm looking at the moment and it's definitely um, an interesting journey. Have you bought yet? God. No, I oh, know. <laughs> I'd rather be in this market, not out of it. Uh, but... It's funny, and when we go into those open homes, and there's never a perfect place, as you say, mm. but I always like to, you know, get to know the agent a little bit and say hello and then ask, and then I kind of highlight one of the flaws. And it's quite amusing, some of their lines. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, for example, <laughs> let's say... annoying it's, buyer. Well, whatever. We all, you know, like, you know, the, the agent knows the flaws. It's quite yeah, funny. Exactly. But it's, it's um, I mean, what do you say, though, when it's got like a, I don't know, really bad light? How would you, how would you sell that property? To really bad lighting light, or, it's just or natural dark. light. It's natural dark. Light. Mm. It's dark as dark. Mm. Look, sometimes if you've got if you've got the uh, ability, you can go and put some some standard lamps in and yep. up lights. You know, from IKEA for twelve bucks. Yep, they they work beautifully. So that's called styling. Yeah, that's called yep. styling. But it, <laughs> but it, you know you you know in advance, so you go and add some light to it. But if it's too dark, it's too dark. I mean, I can't change. There's some things I can't change, yeah. much as I'd love to. You know, someone says, this one hasn't got a car park. No, it didn't when you saw it advertised oh, and it still doesn't <laughs> when you got here. Yeah. But it doesn't have a car park and I can't change that. Yeah. So if that's the, you know, the, the number one thing that you want, um, let's go and see if there's a spare one in the building that somebody's not using, you know. What like, about like noisy roads though? Well, the funny thing about noisy roads, Chris, is that there's always somebody living there anyway, you know, like the the... Houses and, and apartments on noisy roads aren't empty, you know. There's someone either renting them or owning them or living. And so, but there is a price concession that, you you know, someone will say, look, you know, I can buy the same thing on a quiet street. Well, that's your option. But if you can buy this one at a better deal, yes, then let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah I've had uh, electric cars for that one. That was that was pretty good from the, the agent. I said, oh, it's a bit of a busy oh, that's street. Pretty good. She said, oh, well, you know, electric cars are coming. And then, so- then you'll be hear- if, if, if electric park cars are silent, you'll be hearing the screams of all the people that get hit by them. Uh, I mean, uh, I just think it's quite funny. I mean, like, what about yeah. steep steep driveways? Have you, have you, had, have you uh, had that one? Steep driveways? What happens with steep driveways? Well, I mean, she- There's not that many in Mossman compared to where you're looking at buying. Yeah. I mean, this one was quite yeah. funny because she's like, oh, yeah, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm a female. I can get down it. <laughs> Is that what she actually said? She said was she, she wearing like ridiculous twelve inch heels? At the and time? she was quite, and yeah. so she's like, you know, I had no problems getting down yeah. here, and I'm a female, and, and yeah. I was like, oh come on, now you just, and I mean, what, I, I mean sometimes I find that somebody w- wants to raise an objection to something, they actually really like the place, mm. they just don't want to tell me that. You're giving so it away. They're actually saying, you know, I don't like that or I don't like that, and I say, okay, but at what price is those things okay, you mm. know, because uh, once they move past that or they're just highlighting it for the fact of it, I mean, rarely does someone walk in and say, this is perfect, I've got a stack of money, I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's right? very unusual. They're going to come in and complain about something, oh, don't like that, don't like that, okay, but is is this still the best thing you've seen all day? 
Oh, it is? Okay. Well, at, at what price would you want to call it home? So let, let's mm. wind back a little bit. We talked about an auction passing in. You've got one buyer. They're not seeing the opportunity. Then Monday rocks around. You've got a new buyer that comes in. Maybe they missed out on something else. But clearly it's this asking price that lures that extra buyer, right? Mm. Mm. So if it's going to have a ridiculously high asking price, you're going to have cricket. Ages. Yeah, and yeah. it happens. There's mm. still people that um, love their house more than anyone else does and, they, you know, therefore they still own it, you know. Um, but once it's been on the market and they get some feedback and that's where buyers need to be able to step up and say, look, it's not right for me, but if it was, I'd probably be interested at 850 you know. Yeah. Give us some feedback. Give the selling agent some feedback so that he I've can go back quite and, a lot recently and, and well. talk, you know. Um, I mean, there's some properties that you know have been sitting on the market for five, six months. Yeah. Everything else is selling. Mm. Yeah. And they're priced well, $400,000 $400, <laughs> more of what yeah. the market is. And, you know, one was two and then they dropped it to one seven, you know, and sat at two months. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very dangerous for a seller to do that, doesn't it? Because it starts to become stale, the property, do you think? It starts to get a bit of a bad smell because people are like, why hasn't it sold? Yeah, it's, it does happen. And I recently went for a listing. Um, I said, look, I think your home will find interest because it's not my, I'm not the price police, right? Mm. It's, I've got to say, look, I think a home like this is going to find interest from buyers at say four and a half million, right? The owner said, oh, but I want 5.6. And I said, well, why is that? How do you come up with that number? Well, that's what we need for where we want to move to. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a different story mm. to what, what a buyer will pay for your house today. Anyway, she ended up listing with somebody else at 5.4 and two months later she sold for 4.6. So she, well, yeah, kind of there's no second prize, mm. you know. It's like mm. you either get paid or you don't. Um, and But she did contact me and say, you were right. You were the closest in the original price. You can bank that. And <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, I'm so happy for you because you're able to go and do what you want to do now. Well, they can't because they wanted five, six, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're going to do something different. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, actually, that's, you know, there is a thing, though, where it ultimately sells for less than it could have. Look, it could, and, and yeah. if it's on the market for so long that mm. people think that there's something wrong with it, you know, then it may. And then again, you'll get somebody that just comes along out of the blue and say, I'm, I'm comfortable with your price guide. And you go, great. Well, where do we go from here? You know, and make an offer and get, let's get started. I so, think in a seller's market, in a buyer's market, you know, the buyer just never comes along because they always can find something, right? Yeah. yeah. But in a seller's mm. market, which I feel like we're shifting to now, yeah. I think we have, Chris. We've um, shifted, yeah. And, um, you yeah, know, people are going to those because they're like, Yep. They just don't want to go through the process of missing out and then they start look they start compromising and they start getting desperate. Yeah. And then they start meeting the market yeah. on, on poor properties. And I yeah. I feel like they're they're not very forgiving in the bad times, but in the good times you yeah. can still sell them. Yeah. Um I mean, what's your thought? You said there that things have shifted. I mean, mm. I think that when things shift, generally they're gonna shift in the more premium suburbs first because you know, that's generally where most buyers yeah. are going to get the confidence to go and that's where they, where, they, where they really want. Yeah, well, you can tell when there's a turn because properties that aren't perfect or have something major wrong with them, let's put them, the one on the busy road, Yeah, yeah. that's going to, that's not going to sell as quickly anymore. 
So that that becomes the benchmark for mm. when properties on busy roads start selling again. Yep. Everything's gone up. Yeah, yes. you know, yeah. It is because a people have jumped in. <laughs> yeah, people are saying, "Well, look, I, I don't want to be on the mm. busy road, but it's the only thing in my price range." Yeah, you know. Yeah, so are you noticing it. that? Obviously. Yeah, it's back. Yeah, yeah. and it's scarcity as well. I, I mean, on the lower north shore at the moment, we just don't have enough properties. Simple yeah. as that. It's a common yep. common refrain. So, okay, so choice of agents. So your one of your books there is all about really choosing an agent, right? Exactly. Now, obviously, you're an agent. You've yep. written a book says, right, this is what I do. And yeah, just this, hire the guy that is, wrote the book. Yeah, this is what you <laughs> should look for in an agent. Obviously, I do it all, so therefore I'm the guy. But And, and I've noticed it. I mean, I obviously was an agent, sales agent as yeah. well. So I've certainly noticed when the market was slower, the difference or the choice of agent made such a difference. Mm-hmm. Um to the vendor and also us uh, and whether or not it sold and what it sold for. I want to give us some insights as to what you think makes the difference. How does how does a choice of agent make a difference? Sure. Um, there's there's a whole there's a whole yeah. <laughs> whole list, but it's, mm-hmm. I mean it starts basically with communication. So if your agent that you're working with isn't giving you the feedback that you need to hear. If they're sugarcoating it, mm. and you know, if no one turned up on Saturday, but they're saying two did, um, just to make you feel better, mm. um, that, that's the wrong agent. Something has to change if if it's not going well, and they need to have you know to be able to put that to you in such a way that they don't give you a problem; they offer you a different solution. So, um, the the right agent's always going to keep you informed, so that you feel like you when you're making a decision. That, that you're comfortable with it, that you're not forced into a corner, that you're making a decision that that agent is is encouraging you to go down this path because they've done it before. Um, so that's where a lot of the younger agents, well, not younger, but the new entrants mm. into the industry really struggle to get good at that communication, to actually yeah. have that confidence as an advisor to really guide a client through the journey. Yeah, look, that could be it. They, they may not be big on having a long discussion with someone. I mean, if I've got a seller that's not, following my guidelines, yes. then it's time to sit down with them and have a big yeah. chat, you know. Yeah. And let's look at some of the properties that listed when we did that have sold and why we're still on the market. So, you know, there's new properties that have come on, which are our new competition, which weren't there when we priced it. They're going to give us a good indication of where we should be to compete with those. So you've got two, you know, the solds and the newly listeds yeah. are going to help uh, any agent to uh, get the seller in the right headspace. It yeah. is having those hard discussions, isn't it, without yeah. without scaring them? Yeah, you don't want to beat them over the head. Mm. You just want to put it into perspective in that this person came on when we did and they've sold and their house has flaws as well, but they've they've been more open to a, a broader price range. Yeah. So when someone's listed a property on the market, how much have they actually sunk into Listing it like in the marketing, you know, because they, yeah. they can, they can Separation. Them, if they're living in it, that's and they haven't styled it, then yeah, that, that's, sure. let's just assume okay. that's the case. Okay, what were they roughly like sunk into? Like, don't know, yeah, and it's it's a it's really snuck up. I was looking at mm. um, I was looking at some past campaigns, I think back in 2005, we were charging $220 for the internet, you know, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's thousands <laughs> now, isn't it? And yeah. now you're looking at real estate for a house in our area at the at the premium level, which uh, is where everyone's going to put them anyway. You're looking about 1950 and yep. domain about 2050. Mm. So you're up for about four thousand yeah. dollars to list on the internet, um, but you can't list without photos. So you're, you're looking at you know 350 to 400 for photos, a floor plan 150 to 200, 
uh, some copy. Um, I do like a copywriter because you know that's what they do. Um, They've always maybe got north facing in there, haven't they? <laughs> there's, there's always one. one side of the house that faces north. <laughs> so probably one ninety for copywriting. So you know, you look, you're probably approaching five or six grand to get it on the market. Um, they charge any, level. Does agents generally charge any like engagement fees or anything that they're getting a little bit like a retainer? No, or they, no. no. So, no so we're the only that profession that works for nothing unless we get a, a, a result that you're absolutely delighted with and you're mm. prepared to sign on the bottom line. And so, then we wait six to ten weeks after that to get paid. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty <laughs> rotten actually. Uh, you know, I've long held that the remuneration of agents goes hand in hand with distrust of agents, you know, yeah. because yes. not everyone does have that big picture view where they go, you know what, I'm in here for the long run or I'm doing the right job and ultimately I'm going to get paid. You know, there's always going to be that pressure to to pressure someone to sell because at the end of the day, like you say, it's the vendor's prerogative to sell or not to sell. Their sunk cost is maybe their six or seven grand mm. um, and then the agent's under pressure and the longer you have it on the market, of course, yeah, the more sure. time you've invested, you probably put some of your own marketing dollars into it. But that's the importance of vendor-paid advertising. Mm. If the vendor pays the advertising up front, they're, they're committed. They're in. They've got yes. skin in the game. Yeah. If the agent's paying for it, then he's desperate to sell the property because yeah. if he's got six or 7,000 in there yeah. and he's got three or four properties on the market, mm. he's 20,000 behind yeah. and he's worried about that rather than getting the best price for your property. I think, yeah. I mean, regardless, I think even if the vendor does pay the five grand, um, yeah, they've all, they still haven't got any paid a single dollar, right? And they've spent, you know, hours organising all that, getting mm. the photography, doing a couple of opens, you know, four weeks into a campaign. Like you could be talking 30 hours of yeah. time, easy. Oh, yeah. You know, times 300 bucks an hour, yeah. let's say, to be a profitable business, you know, 10 grand of costs invested plus the opportunity cost of what they could be making yeah. if they sold something else. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know, the whole system in terms of actually paying that commission on sale. Yeah. At some point, the vendor is not getting what they want, or the market's not. And at some point, the agent has to then, if the vendor's the best thing for the vendor is to wait six to 12 months. Yeah. Then how does the agent you've got to switch off their own personal benefit here and go, yeah. you know what? And that's if, if you made it like a retainer, like recruitment, mm-hmm. for example, you know, you pay 10 grand, and if we sell it, we still get 10 grand. But if we sell it, you get, you know, 10 grand, you chart, we get 10 grand plus another 10 grand or something like mm-hmm. that, right? Mm. That would at least create a bit more trust because you know that the person selling it could is still going to walk away with a profitable outcome. Sure. And then you've got this great, great new system. And then you've got a bunch of agents without a listing who say, you know what, I'll do it for two grand. I yeah. don't need the, I don't need the ten. You know, so you, you always, your worst enemy is another agent who's more desperate than you are. Yeah. You know, so desperation <laughs> leads to desperation, yeah, you know. Yeah. And well, so I guess it leads to lower commissions, though, a little bit, though, because it keeps the, you know, it does reduce commissions by the the young, you know, the, the brick exes, not the brick exes, the purple bricks of yeah, the world. Yeah. and Who packed up and gone home. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but that was, I don't think that was because they offered a fee for, fee-for-service model or an upfront fee. I think it was because they absolutely 100% misread, and they blame it on the market conditions. It's like, no, you misread how Australians yeah. buy and sell and property. and they misread it in America too, so yeah. they packed up from there. Bizarre. So, anyway, but yeah, no, that's another argument. All but, that money without yeah. any, mar- any actual market research. I, I think, look, agents, agents get a, a, a fee that they deserve, you know, and I, I say it in my book, look, if the agent's asking for a fee, then pay them that fee because that's what they believe they're worth and that's the value they're bringing to the table. 
If somebody's going to be cheaper than that. Oh, my God, you can, don't, oh, I'm going to have to put a little anti. Oh, can I write an extra chapter for you? Like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, you can ask to negotiate the fee and these are the sorts of things you can ask. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I put it to text, someone Jim, the other day. Come, when, to, me, when come to me and we, don't ask me to negotiate. <laughs> we, we were going through the marketing, which people like to do and say, well, do I, do I have to have this? Yeah. And I said, and I knew this um, person owned a restaurant, and I said, well, unfortunately, this is a recipe. And if you want to start taking stuff out of it, it's mm. not going to taste so good, yeah. you know? Yeah. And immediately he said, sorry, yep, just put everything back in. Yep. <laughs> Got actually, it. And yeah. on, actually on that, um, because, you know, we're talking about the cost of internet advertising versus mm. what it used to be. And mm. so it was 2006, the last time I sold a property. So, you know, that yeah. was you were cheap back then. But we were still investing in print advertising a lot more sure. than I think people do yeah. these days. Yeah. So that that's changed, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, the Mossman Daily used to be a tome, you mm. know, and particularly, um, you know, double page spreads. Um, the cost of it has just gone through the roof to the point where uh, I think currently, you know, we're probably the property section's down to about eight pages and two of them are local properties and the others are out-of-towners who, like the Hunter Valley, mm. who are trying to get Mossman people to buy yeah. up there. Um, so the, the the readership and the distribution of it's all problematic at the moment. So other companies like Campaign Track, who supply the signboards and the and the brochures and things like that, they now offer uh, digital products. So they're doing a pro aim, which which advertises your property on Google and Facebook, and so they'll package all that up for you. So that's a eight hundred and ninety dollar product. And it's taken the place of, of probably a, a, a half-page ad at some mm. point, you know. So there's uh, alternatives to print these days and, um, you know, and video, of course, is is the new way of getting a, you know, complete walkthrough and that sort of thing. So Facebook. Facebook advertising, Facebook, yeah. So, mm. yeah, there's lots of different ways of doing it and, um, you know, DLs and, and print just isn't... I top love of the those list things. anymore. You still get a letterbox full of DLs from yeah. agents going yeah. bragging about their latest sole price, yeah. or, or the one I particularly love where you get a little letter saying, you know, it's dear owner or <laughs> occupant, and it's got all these these latest list, you know, this latest sales, and they're not even by that agent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just love it. So I have a client who just uh, bought and sold in Mossman. Nice. Um, yeah, it was, good, it was a good client. No, no, it was for a different agent, um, but it was through the same agent. And so at the same time, mm-hmm. I was selling a house and they bought a house through the same agent and negotiating on the same day for a buy and a sell through the same agent. Do you, have you, you know, how, how does, there's so many conflicts going on yeah. here, right? Uh, um, same day, you say? The same day. Oh, wow. This yeah. is, a, this is it, the, the sale wouldn't happen if he couldn't buy that property. Right. Uh, yeah. And yeah. the seller of the property, the, you know, more expensive property that he upgraded into, mm. Um, wouldn't I don't know if he knew that the other the way of buying it would have been on a on another property. How do you manage that from an agent point of view? Because to be honest, it wouldn't be the first time that would happen because a lot of the time people are upgrading in the same suburb yeah. and are buying and selling at the same time. How did you yeah. deal with how would you deal with something like that? Uh, that's a tricky one, Chris. I'm, I mean, there's so many conflicts, as you say, that um, I, I would just be full disclosure because I wouldn't want it to come back later, you know. And and if you're not open and transparent, people f- wonder what else you're hiding from them. That's the biggest issue. Mm. And that, I mean, in, in a simple terms, every time I sell a strata property, I provide a strata report because I find if I give them the information 
And even if it's not all good news, they still trust me, right? Because I'm giving them the information. If they have to go and pay to find out about it, then they say, what else hasn't he told me? You know? So there's a level of trust there. But I, I, I would be looking at different ways. I mean, so, look, I'm about to uh, put my own house on the market, but I'm not going to sell it. I've hired an agent in the office to do it, right? Because there's a conflict of interest there. I mean, I don't want someone walking through and saying, I don't like this and don't like that because it's my house. Well, you your know? elephant would be in the, in the way. I, I, you know, exactly. Sold, I sold a couple of properties in the last couple of years and uh, my elephant was... It's one yeah. of. It's actually bumped into one of the agents from the office that that sold one of the properties, and they were laughing at me, saying, "Oh, you behave just like a typical seller." And it's like <laughs> all my experience, you know, all my experience, all my knowledge, and I still found the elephants sort of romping. I had to be guided yeah. so that I made good yeah. decisions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and it's d- good that you're doing that. And just for the record, when uh, when the agent asked me what marketing we're doing, I said, "Yes, all of it." All oh, right, yeah. of course you did. But you get a discount, so it's fine. No discount off marketing. <laughs> so let's say you're up. I know you're here to, you know, get buyers to pay more than market, right? That's the that's the We're, title of your book. Is it's, it's targeted for, you know, uh, sell above market, sold above market. But how do I, as a buyer, pay market or pay below market? Like, where mm. where do we where do we where can we actually what tactics can we use to at least make us get a fair price? Okay, the 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 reason buyers don't buy properties is they don't make offers. Simple as that. I have so many people that say to me, have you had any offers? And I'll say, yes, I'm talking to someone right now. Well, what's their offer? And I said, well, what would you pay? Because what mm. that negotiation I'm having with that person is a private conversation and it's, they've made an offer without reference to anybody else. But they've made an offer that they're comfortable at. So then you come along and say, well, what's their offer? Because I might pay $10 more. So well, social proof, isn't it? That's it's yeah. Make yeah, me feel better about know? it. Yeah. So the difficulty is, if you don't make an offer, you're not going to find anything out at all, and mm. you're not going to get a, a chance to buy the property. So the worst thing that can happen is, or the saying is, the easiest property to sell is the one you've just sold, mm. because people put up their hand and go, "Oh, I would have paid that." Mm. Well, where were you? you yeah. Know? I yeah. did ask if you'd make an offer, and you said no. Um, it's so, quite infuriating as an agent, isn't it, when that yeah. happens? But a lot of that is around. It's disappointing because you think, well, I'm sorry you missed out on it, but it's your own fault. Well, yeah, I mean, it's on the market, it's for sale, yeah. it's up to you to make an offer. But but the asking price has a lot to do with that, right? The asking price is a guide. And, you know, the, the, the new law is we can put either a fixed price, no price, or a 10% guide. So um, typically if it's an auction a lot of people decide to put no price on it, which is a little bit annoying because it just forces someone to ring up and say, well, what's the guide? Mm. And there's still going to be a guide price, so, you know, why don't you just tell them up front? But does an agent really know what it's worth, though? I, I find that it's, it's quite difficult for an agent. We can always blame the agent mm. um, who's, mm. you know, it's you put on price guide of one, two. Well, I don't really know until I've got, you know, out in the market, I've dressed it up. I've got run an open home and 10, 15 people came through it and they all loved it. And they, and they all want to, they all think it's worth one, three, one, four. Like it's hard to know sometimes. Do you think that yeah. know, really with a price guide, you're at the, you know, it's, it's, it's just very hard. I feel like sometimes it's some properties that, you know, once it's out there, it actually is a lot hotter than people expect. Exactly. And sometimes there aren't comparables to things, yeah. mm. you know, something that's unique and different and, yep. and it doesn't match something else. I mean, I've just listed a, 
a unit in a building where there's two other good sales this year. So everybody's in agreement. We know what it'll sell for. We've got a, gu a practical guide that's going to work. But if you've got a property that's got a, a view, for instance, mm -hmm. and, and somebody puts a different value on that, you know, it's the same as someone came to me the other day and said, well, what's a car space worth? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I said, well, it's a very good question because uh, is it a is it an open car space or is it undercover? Where is it? it, it is it is it uh, you know mm. what what location are we in? Is there plenty of street parking or not? Is it actually a garage? Has it got a door on it? Is it a is remote it a controlled door? Is it a two point five meter wide garage or a three meter wide garage? <laughs> yeah. So you know, like if we just take garaging and parking, what's it worth? You know, and he used to say, "Look, uh, parking somewhere between thirty and fifty thousand in in our area." That's the old days. And and then you can go <laughs> online, and if you Google most expensive car space in Sydney, you'll find some that have sold for four five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, including one in, in Neutral Bay, which was open car space. There's one in Kirribilli too, wasn't there, a few years yeah. back? That's had a view. That's 280000 Car space with a view. Probably not a great investment, but, I mean, <laughs> technically it probably is, but um, <laughs> you're still buying land and, you know, so it's a limited market. 13 yeah. square metres yeah. of, of um, So it all comes land. back to there's there's no retail price on second-hand property, yeah. you know, so mm. it is it is worth what the next person will pay for it. And However, you know, as an agent, yeah. you, you surely have a better idea than Joe Blow. You would right? hope so, wouldn't you? Would you would hope yeah. so. And Although yeah. apparently Joe Blow can now look online and find an estimate from oh, a know. bank or a website which they hold on to dearly and say this is this is the estimate online. I mm. said, well, unfortunately the computer has never been to the property. So it doesn't know. Well, I actually did a, little, uh, did a little exercise just before Christmas last year, so falling market, right, mm -hmm. and um, looked at 10 AVMs for a property that was on the market and ev all 10 of them were higher than the ultimate sale price. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a falling market, you want them to hold on to those AVMs yeah. and in a rising market, you want well, to tell true, them to right? Yeah. But yeah. I looked at a property the other day online to say what was the estimate on this because I thought, I've got to see what the uh, yeah. buyers are going to say. The guide um, offered online was a high high confidence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, four to nine million. Yeah, I love it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Went, mm, That's a little bit, little bit wide, too. isn't it? It's going to sell for something. <laughs> I'm 100% confident it will sell for something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, you know. but so uh, You've got um, another book coming out, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, I mean, there's one coming out about <laughs> renovation. Um, that, you know, because yep. I think you do a lot of, um, you know, advising well, helping people, I guess, dress up kind of older brick buildings and turn them to, you know, make some money on them. Um, I mean, a lot of our listeners probably can't afford a house in Mossman, right? Like, it's, sure. you know, we are talking median price of three. Four, five. Yeah, four, five, <laughs> right. So, you know, they'd love to live there. You know, it's probably one of the most desirable places sure. in Sydney. But, you know, apartments are definitely something that they're thinking about, yeah. right? Mm. So. You know, can you tell us a bit more how, like, those premium apartments, who's looking at them, you know, from a buying point of view and how people can, you know, make yeah. good decisions there? Well, again, um, you know, you talked about buyers getting a good deal. Um, they're going to typically buy something that other people can't see the vision with, right? So if you walk into a place and it's terrible, <laughs> if it's a deceased estate, it hasn't been, nothing's been done for 40 years, it is terrible. And you're going, oh, this is awful, Okay, but it's what we've got, right? So we're not dressing it up. We're not saying it's, you know, it's, it's got bells and whistles. So the vision then is, is can you see what you can do with it or um, and what that will cost and what are the numbers so that you can make an offer? 
and expect to make some money on it, or is it, or you just have to walk away? Because some people will only buy something that's absolutely finished. Yeah, you know. So they and the other way around, right? Some yeah. people will only buy things that aren't renovated. Mm. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and and often um, when you're selling an unrenovated place, you'll get a lot of bottom fishes, you know, bottom feeders, because they'll come and say, well, you know, to me it's worth this, you know, and and it, it it's their experience and what they think it's going to cost and their brother who's the builder and, you know, how they're going to get over the line. Um, what's probably really important, though, is the, the condition of the strata in the building because if the building's not in good condition, doesn't matter, you, you can turn your, you know, pig's ear into a silk purse but if the building itself still in poor condition, mm. then it's not going to attract the and right it buyers. Brag, yeah. it's, yeah. it's uh, increasing value down. So, what I often observe is that in a hot market, unrenovated property tends to sell for not too well. There's too small a differential between the renovated and the unrenovated. Mm. And in a slow market, is where the real opportunities come because buyers go, oh, I don't have to go through all the hassle of renovating because yeah. I can wait around and buy it. You know, renovated one at a discount. Do you find that that's that's plays out in your area? Yeah, it does. And and people people are time poor, so they they just want to pay a little bit more to get what's done. You know, mm. and move straight in and get on with their life. You know, so um, also in our area, the people are tend to buying sort of um, a bolt hole. You know, mm. um, I've sold a bigger house. I just want to buy a smaller apartment, and then I'll get a, a place up in the Hunter Valley or something. That's interesting because I think that's uh, – uh, there is, without doubt, I mean, it's not happening, I don't think, right now. It's not the heat of it. But in 2017, 100% it was. I mean, mm -hmm. the house prices for young families were basically off the scale, right? And mm -hmm. a lot of young first-home buyers thought, you know, I've given up. I'm not buying a house. I can't afford one. I don't want to move to the Central Coast. I don't want to move to Wollongong. I'm going to go for an apartment, though. And they were doing that maybe 17. I think 18, 19, the cool down, they didn't want to buy – now they're back out there buying houses, but maybe in six months' time they'll be back to kind of buying apartments again. Yeah. What? Who? Who are some of the demand for those kind of nicer, bigger apartments? What sort of buyers are you seeing out there? And can you talk about all the different buy pools? Because I think that shows how yeah good these investments are. Yeah. Well, look, Mossman's full of big houses with older demographic, and they they want to stay in an area they know. So that's their biggest challenge is to be able to move from where they're comfortable now but don't use all the rooms to an apartment where they've still got all the, the lifestyle things they like about living in the area but without the maintenance. So the the problem we have is that we just don't have enough new mm, stock. Yeah. So that's why if we're you know, going down the path of taking the old stock and renovating it and making it nicer for them, then they're the buyers that are going to move across to that. They're worrying about lift. stairs, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's always that, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, I've got people who tell me, you know, I can't have one stair, you know. Mm. Um, if the building hasn't got a lift, I can't buy into it. That's fine. So, you know, you just expect that your strata fees and things are going to be higher because you've got um, more maintenance. But um, absolutely, older people do prefer level. I mean, if you could have a, a level apartment, walk to the shops with a Balmoral view, you can ask whatever price you like yep. because there'd be so many buyers after it. Yeah, you know? there's uh, scarcity. Yeah, scarcity, <laughs> absolute scarcity. But do you think if you were buying those apartments that you, know, you really should avoid, even if it's a great building, a great street, got a view, but it's on the top floor and there's only stairs up to it, yeah. yeah. Do you think you're ruling out too much of a buyer pool buying those assets, even though they do 
suit going to young couples and singles yep. and yeah. divorcees, no kids. As I said earlier, I've never sold the perfect place. So when you go and see a property and it's a three-story mm. walk-up, I count the steps, you know, so yeah. that when I get up there and I sit down with the owner and she says, oh, you know, it's lovely at the top here. I say, yeah, it's 67 steps. Mm. Oh, did you count them? I said, well, all the buyers will too, mm. you know, and um, you'll often find that in, in opening <laughs> you know, the property. I watch her do that. Will it? Yeah. I don't know. And that, the vendor's vend probably hoping you didn't notice. Yeah, I know. Look, <laughs> it's just uh, it's going to come up, and there's going to you know you can make all the jokes about you don't need a gym membership if you mm, if I you see. live this Talk one. Great glutes. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's you can all of that. <laughs> that's funny you say that because that's the, it's back to the start of this conversation, <laughs> isn't the it? Driveway. You know the way that how tight your buns are going to yeah, be. <laughs> you'll get fit walking up here. You know you don't need a gym. That's chicken. right. Yeah. yeah, but if you get got just had both your knees done. Then yes. you're probably not the buyer. No, yeah. no, no, no. You'd be trapped in. It's funny. My grandmother, she only lived in a, she's, you know, deceased 10 years ago, I think. Um, she was living in the first floor apartment, but she had to go up one flight of stairs. And she did, she went into nursing home at the age of 92 and, and she had one of the lovely neighbours. She never, she was quite reclusive. She was very, yeah. very introverted, my grandmother, believe it or not. Um, and she used to have this little setup with a pulley. So one of her neighbours had come and put in a pulley at the edge of her balcony and she used to come and hook up her garbage bag and pull it, you know, <laughs> let it down and the neighbour come and unhook it. Yeah. How sweet. Community. Get her groceries delivered. It was all good. Well, everything gets delivered now, right? You don't yeah. need to leave. That's right. That's yeah. when you go to the doctors. So you've got to have someone come, carer. Son, daughter, come and yeah, I, help I, you down the stairs. I, what I'm learning about the older demographic is that it's all based around doctor's appointments. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you fit it in. You fit in your life around the doctor's appointments. Well, I mean, there's lots of people dial a doctor now. Anyway, they'll be coming to you as well. I'm sure there'll be you know, new doctors in the future, so you can just stay there full time. So the elephant in the room is 100% for you. The reason that Chris and I do this podcast is because we passionately believe that property buyers can do it better. We really want to help all of you understand all the risks, but also the ways in which you can avoid your elephant making the decisions. But what we would love for you to do is just to share this episode and share other episodes with people around you that are going through the property process. Give us a review on iTunes. A five-star, please, would be very appreciated because this is about making sure that we all benefit from the wonderful information that our guests have been sharing with us. Have you seen many buildings, though, that are installing lifts? Um, because they don't make Retrofitting. sense. Yeah, they don't make sense in, you know, uh, not high-priced unit markets, yeah. for example. So you're not going to get these lifts installed in the middle and outer rings because the cost, mm. the benefit, it's just not going to do it. But in these kind of more established areas, you know, Bellevue Hill, Mossman, mm. et cetera, Balmain, um, it makes sense a lot of sometimes for these buildings to potentially consider putting a lift in. Have you seen that? So. Um, I've seen it in homes, but yep. not necessarily buildings. So you've got really easy modular glass lifts now mm. that you can literally bolt onto the outside of a building. Um, and so, you know, three-storey homes are, are going for things like that. There is another smaller version for inside. But what we are seeing is a, uh, on the rise are car stackers, you know, mm. because people have got a single car space and they've worked out if they dig a hole, they can put a second car down there. So um, rather than elevators in the building as being something that was never designed that way, when there's a car space, they've decided, well, okay, I can have two, 
car spaces. You see that quite a lot, are you? Yeah, yeah, we're wow. seeing a lot. And new builds are coming with. Um, uh, there's a, a German system where you actually drive into a room and you get out of the car and get out of it and you punch in your your, your unit number and it takes your car away. Oh, yeah. Right? Yep. So um, there's an apartment block coming up in Neutral Bay where you drive in and stay in the car and it takes your car up to your apartment level. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a there's a building in Birchgrove, and I may have my numbers wrong here, um, where there's a stacker and, and that type of arrangement. It doesn't take you up to your level, but I think you can call your car from your, your mm-hmm. apartment. You go down and yeah. walk into it. And, look, this is all anecdotal, but apparently they have to allocate something like 20 grand per quarter for the maintenance of said car stacker because a couple of rather critical failures at fairly critical times and high net worth individuals own these places. Bugger that, I don't want my car stuck in a in a mechanical system somewhere. Yeah. So I've, that I've, does add extraordinary ongoing costs. Yeah. So you talk about the value of a car space. Yeah, exactly. And and I do know of, of car stackers that have been broken for a week, meaning mm. you can't get oh, your car out. Enough. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Forced to stick with Uber for a week. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if the car's going up to your level, I mean, that's when you've got, like, the glass windows right yeah. and you're trying to yeah. show it off. And I guess. So then I you, still you, think that's you, just total toss bucket oh, territory. Oh, it is. It's, it's awful. But, I mean, that's when you <laughs> Buy a nice piece of art. You God. Know, you don't have a, um, you know, an old bashed up sort of old <laughs> Mazda 66 or something um, <laughs> that's in your, in your garage. Yeah. But, I mean... Um, Bosman's a funny area. I mean, in the premium market, we haven't um, had many uh, agents probably at the ultra high. I mean, do you sell mainly five to ten for range, or? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm the family guy. Yeah, yeah you know, cool. like. A, but you're not the you're not the 15, 20, 25 million guy. Michael Pallio sort of thing. No, we've got Steve in the office often lists those because he's um, he's. The people he's grown up with, uh, that's where they're ended up now. Right. And and the Thank people you. I've sort of met originally when I started have sort of gone from units to semis to mm. houses to, to wanting to upgrade to bigger houses. So um, it's, uh, you know, we just had a, a, a sale over $9.5 million, um, which was through a terrific buyer's agent, and so it never went on the market, um, and that was through a conversation, mm. you know. So... Um, a lot of property changes hands in our area without without coming on the market. I would say twenty to thirty percent. Quite a high ratio. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So a lot of people um, who are not property people who don't really get property or understand property or think it's all going to how's it possibly worth nine million dollars? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are they going to afford the mortgage on it? Mm. Now, can you give some people? You know, there's not really an understanding of how much wealth there is out there. And you'll probably see that because you'll get these buyers that have got a lot of money. Yeah. Um, you know, how are people actually affording this? Where Where is this wealth coming from? Have you got, you know, because you know, most people out there just don't understand that no. there is just, there's so much. There is so much. And it's not just in our area. I mean, the Hills District is full of money, you know. Yeah. Like, so for every person that walks in, you, you can't, someone walks into an open home in shorts and thongs, you can't judge them. Mm. Because you just don't know. Yeah. Um, so you have to assume that everybody can afford the property and everyone can pay over market. But um, <laughs> he had a smile on his face when he said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, like you only have to drive through the. Sh- I was I was 
driving to work this morning and there's a Bentley convertible in front of me at the lights and in front of that an Aston Martin and across the road a Ferrari and behind that a Tesla and that's just the demographic that, mm. that we live in. And, um, you know, there's so much money it doesn't... It, for someone to buy a $12 million house, that's not because they've got $12 million, It's because they've got $45 million. You yeah, know, and they're yeah. only spending twelve on a house, so it's a different way of looking. And that at is things. A, that is a different perspective. And they've made money in other other ways, obviously. And I guess they haven't saved up their their ten percent deposit on a twelve million dollar home and taken out the, the mortgage for the rest. Well, no, they yeah. don't, and that's probably mm, a lot yeah. of the buyers at that higher end are probably yeah. a bit older as well. Do you find yeah. that you know? Look, not- a lot of them are company directors, and uh, you know, I was talking to a gentleman the other day who said. You know, he put money into a business 12 years ago and um, it's just about to go to an IPO and he'll be worth $300 million. Mm. So he'll buy a house that suits his needs, yep. you know, and it won't even come into the equation. He'll be one of those rare people that can get everything he wants. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, as not, opposed to having to not, compromise. Not anything he wants. He can have everything, everything he wants. He needs to get a little bit careful because <laughs> IPOs sometimes don't go to plan, by the way. Of course. So, you know, course. you're a bit careful. Yeah. yeah you know, WeWorks kind of was meant to go to IPO last week and that kind of got canned, um, yeah. you know, and then sometimes they do go to IPO and the share price crashes. You only got to sure. look at, um, yeah. you know, John McGrath's of the world. Um, there's yeah. other ones as well that have, you know, the share price Although, does go down. when it, that was launched, all those all the uh, original holders, all the, the staff and John and whatever made quite a lot of money. It's the people who bought them. <laughs> And then tried yeah. to sell them. Yeah, it's They're true. the ones that lost all the yeah. money. It is true, yeah, exactly. Mm. You, you yeah. still hold a, usually hold a big shareholding in the company. Yeah, because, you might, what you got left. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you, um, you know, if you're selling all your shares as your IPO, it's not Way a great go. sign to new investors that <laughs> the biggest shareholders are getting out, uh, not staying on the ship. Um, but, I mean, you know, is there a lot of kind of you know, in that demographic, though, like how are they – do you see people with everything they've got, though, reinvesting back in property? Because I think this is one of the misconceptions that, you know, sometimes everything or almost everything people have got, they make them $5 million on a property. They go and buy another property at $8 million yeah. and they put that $5 million straight in. Funny thing is when someone comes and says, my budget's $8 million and I can't find anything, um, I feel for them. And, and, it, and if their budget's $2 million and they can't find what mm. they want, it's the same thing. So yep. it doesn't matter how much money you've got. You can't find the house that you want Unless because you got $300 million. we've never so, <laughs> yeah. we've never sold the perfect house. Yeah, it's however, true. and your expectations go up as your budget goes up. Of course they do. Yeah, um, but if someone says to you, "I've got eight million to spend," they don't go and buy a four million dollar house and put the four million in the bank. No, you know mm. they really want to spend the eight million. Yeah, and in consequently, they might end up spending nine million because they've paid above market. But so why um, do you think that is so much? Why do you think we've got this obsession so deep ingrained that? You know, you know, if common sense kicks in, why do you pay eight million dollars for a house in Mossman when you could buy a house twenty minutes away for say yeah. three yeah. and tick exactly the same almost well, they're almost not like, exactly no, the same. So not exactly not the same. No, but yeah. 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 no, but yeah. you know, yeah. technically if it was on a street, it's a nice street yeah. and it's tree lined and you're yeah. surrounded by nice houses okay. and you know, and it maybe it hasn't got the same lifestyle benefits around it. Yeah. Why does someone so gravitated to pay that eight million dollars? Um, I just had the ego. I've, no, it's it's look. Mossman's a fairly unique spot. We've got Balmoral Beach as the big draw card for starters, right? There's lots then, of beautiful beaches. Of course there are, but we've also inside Mossman we've got Queenwood Girls School, we've got Mossman Prep, we've got 
Queenwood Junior School. We've got Redlands just there. We've got Shaw just down the road. Um, so it's uh, it's a breeding ground where people are going to be there for 20 years. So they're going to buy a house. They're going to upgrade along the way as they uh, you know change change jobs or get IPOs or whatever. It's this but type of stock too, they, isn't it? They I do mean, stay. Yeah, they do stay. So you've I'm, got the larger federation yeah, homes. You've got a nice combination. So oh, recently, yeah. um, a, a client of mine. Um, a property came up for sale. Um, he bought it for $4.8 million. It was a three-bedroom house. And he sold his larger home for $5.2 million. So it was almost a changeover. Mm. Next door. So he bought the house next door, right, <laughs> because it was smaller. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but he still level walked to the shops. Yeah. So his lifestyle hasn't changed. He's just got less house to worry about. Gotcha. And so he probably paid above market. Uh, I think he did well, actually. Yeah, <laughs> think I think he, he did, did well because well. the house next to the one he's just bought uh, sold a year or so ago for seven point two. So he's he's in good company. Yeah, no, no. But what I mean is that his circumstances were such that for him it'd be worth much more because he absolutely values that position. Yeah, probably more than the, another buyer yeah. who yeah. would value it equally with another street. Yeah, he had good reasons to mm. buy it, and and uh, the numbers worked for him. Yeah, I think another thing is that. You know, it's just we're kind of getting to a little bit is that it's also like a massive part of it is that, you know, they've seen over the last 20 years how that asset's performed and there's this real conception that that's worked for me. If I buy a house at five, I'll be able to sell it at one time in the future, eight or nine. And that, that, that consensus view within the area means that people don't sell in downturns and then they also, mm. you know, re-leverage back into the area. Mm. So there's this kind of constant belief that prices are going to keep on rising. Mm. And, and they, I think that's what gives that, you know, end of the day when you're going to go and sign a check for, or you're going to go pay $5 million or something, mm. you really yeah. only do that with the confidence knowing that at some point in the future you're going to get your money back. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like that real. I don't know. You know, I, actually I, I think the upper level, quite often there's a level a where, of money on, there, on. There's a level where it's all about convenience and lifestyle. Yeah. And mm. also that, single property isn't the extent of their property holdings. So yeah. they've also probably got the place at Threadbow. Um, they might have one at the Hunter Valley and they might have one at Wild Beach. Mm. So um, it's and, – and there's also the boat and there's yeah. – <laughs> you know, there may be a plane, mm. you know. So you don't know what they've got. Yeah. You just have to assume that the guy who comes in and he's board shorts and thongs – can buy what he wants to buy. You know, when you read title deeds, you often read of people, high net worth individuals trading, you know, multiple million dollar properties and not making great gains over, mm. over, you know, significant periods of time. I don't think that's their primary driver. Personally, I think it should be because I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's a lot of money, it's an asset. Mm. But, you know, they're, they're obviously buying for very different reasons. They're mm. not seeing it as an investment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, looking at a house recently for $12 million, and um, a gentleman that was showing me the house said, oh, the owner will be um, back in Sydney next week. And I said, okay, and he, he'll be staying at this hotel. And I said, oh, why does he stay at that hotel instead of this house? He said, because he owns the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's a different ball game. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of, um, you know, the, the whole kind of suburb getting influences, because a lot of fear, there's a lot of foreign investment and, um, you know, there's all they're buying all their homes, et cetera. Did you see in the boom times 
you know, a lot of money come into that kind of upper premium market and really, or did they really gravitate to other pockets of Sydney, for example, like Bellevue Hill and... Look, there, there's always been a lot of money in the in the suburb and yep. what we probably saw in the boom time was um, good money coming down from Warunga um, where people were selling estates. So 2,000 square metres, you know, a, a $12 million house up there and they bring their $12 million closer to the city. So they're either going for a, an apartment-style place, you know, down towards the Toaster or Walsh, Walsh Bay or something like that, or they're trying to find something in the Mossman with a Balmoral view, which shows them that they're closer to the city. So it's, it's actually... What about like Chinese investors and things like that? Did you see a lot in your pocket? There's, there's frankly, there's people that look Chinese who speak like you and I do because yeah. there's yeah. three or fourth generation, you know. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. So I don't call them Chinese per se. No, they're, but I mean there's, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, misconception. There was so much money coming from overseas and that's what's causing our boom and I didn't, didn't believe it and I still don't believe it. Yeah. But, you know, I'd just be curious to see that, you know, anecdotally in your pocket though because it is a premium market. Sure. Yeah. The only... The only way they could buy established was if they had, you know, had some type of residency or daughter or mm, son mm. or something like that. Yeah. So I was just curious to see if you it's did not, notice it. Look, there, there, were, there were examples of it, but yeah. they were completely outweighed by locals yes. buying property. Not widespread. Yeah. It, it's funny. I, I remember seeing a couple of um, Australian-born Chinese, a few of them actually saying this during the height of the boom when there was all this press about the Chinese buyer and and, and pushing up auction prices. In certain areas, you see you see it too because there there's certain suburbs where it was yeah. particularly um, visible and. These Australian-born ones were laughing, just saying how that they were able to. Um, they didn't have anywhere near the amount of money, the disposable income that supposedly all these other Chinese, the mainland Chinese, had. But they were able to to scare off, <laughs> you know, your more Anglo-Saxon Australian-born um, Aussie, because everyone's paranoid about the Chinese buyer, and so they were actually yeah. enjoying the fact. Yeah. That they, <laughs> well, a, a lovely story I had recently: uh, an auction, and the first person who registered was Australian. And uh, I said, uh, what paddle number would you like? And they said, I'll take eight. Oh, we, so that someone else doesn't have it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and 88. So I went to one auction once where some a Chinese woman put her hand up and went, eight. You know, she was very happy with her eight. And I went, oh, I'll see your eight and I'll trumpet. I have my 88. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't get the auction. I didn't. Buy, we didn't buy the property, but I had a bit of fun. Yeah. So um, you got to so, so, so some vendors, you know, to sell a property. I mean, um, if you're going to give advice, let's say I've got a house I want to sell right yeah. now. What would be some good advice you'd give to a vendor to go in there to get the best possible result and make that whole experience as painless, but not as painless, but as, as you know, get the result they really want end of the day. Um, what would be some advice you'd tell them to, to do? We need to plan ahead. So it's not, to, hey, Jeff, I want to sell my house tomorrow. Uh, we want to go and look at your house. We want to get it sale ready. So if the property's looking its best, it's going to sell so much faster than a property that's that's looking tired. So um, the first thing people need to do is remember that it's their home and they're responsible for its maintenance and how it looks and that I can't make it look better than it is. So and I know doing this with my own property, you know, we've had we've had the tradesmen in for the last two months, you know, re-honing all of the, all of the uh, uh, 
uh, the stonework, yeah. you know, and cleaning down stuff and repainting and pointing and doing, redoing the garden. And, you know, we've been there 15 years. So we need to bring it up to speed before we're going to present it to the market. And then people will come in and go, wow. No it expense spared, no <laughs> nothing to do. Yeah. I'm happy to happy to buy this mm. one. You know, so get it ready. Like really try to, if you can like don't sell the car with the the dents and all that stuff. Get the little dents out, fix up the the tires. <laughs> you know, yeah. make it look good, and then you know you'll yeah. get the you'll get the sale. Yeah. After that, though, let's say I do that and I present it well. What are some of the other things you can give me as a, a tip to make this process the best? Well, the first thing that we do is is introduce the property to buyers agents because they're great to work with, they're engaged with the property. If if they think it's going to suit their client, then I've got an ally helping me to sell that house. So, um, you know, as a buyer's agent will um, create their own profile on the property and give their own reasonings why this is the one that meets their brief. And um, that's very helpful to me because if it is the property they want to buy, um, then it's just about what price is it. Yeah. So sellers shouldn't be scared of buyer's agents? No, we love buyer's agents. You know, agents should love buyer's agents and and sellers should love buyer's agents because it's also a reality check, you know. Um, and if price is in doubt, it doesn't hurt to get some buyer's agents through to, to, to let the owner know where they see it sits. And that sort of leads into another question that I've got, which is, you know, what are some of the things that vendors do to stuff up their own campaign? Um. They sometimes they they don't understand that when an offer's a really good offer, mm. you know. Isn't it the agent's job? There's well, there's still that niggling thing yeah. in the back of their head. Um, they're taking advice from somebody who's a meaningful friend or or a mm. relative who has no experience with the market, but has convinced them that it's worth more than that. Yeah. Um, or a neighbour. <laughs> or a neighbour. I mean, neighbours love, you know, neighbours always say prices, oh, it should have gone for more yeah. than that because therefore that would make my house worth more. Yeah. So there's always that side of it as well. But um, I remember when we were selling a property once and, and I said to my wife, this is our offer. And she said, is that it? And I said, would you pay that for the house? She said, no. <laughs> I said, well, we've found one person that will, you know. We've, our choice is to accept their offer mm. or we've bought the house back for the yes. same price, yep. you know, and we already own it. We don't need it. <laughs> you think that's really when they should be taking that offer, though, when they, you have got that one person who has kind of come back a couple of times, has increased their offer, you know, from in your world, four to four, two <laughs> to four, four, yeah. um, you know, and really there's no, they've only got one buyer. Yeah, you know, look, that, often that's... there's often Chris is only one buyer, and it's a matter of working with that buyer. I mean, I know a, a property recently that when it had a guide of eight million on it, there was an offer of seven point six, which was a very good offer. It was turned down, and the property sold six months later for seven point two. Mm. So you know, it, it at that stage the the owner didn't understand where the property sat in terms of where buyers saw the value. So Which is that the a same challenge, yeah. challenge for no. you too, isn't it? Because yeah. you at that sort of more expensive level, like you said earlier, there's not as many comparable sales. So it's like, well, where will someone go for yeah. this? You know, you've got the bell curve. There's not that many buyers at that end either. So it's, it comes down to their individual 
requirements, their individual budget, their individual decision on what they think it's worth. It's mm. all a bit arbitrary in some mm. ways, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, why is this house worth 20 million? This one's 25. Mm. You know, how do we, how do we decide on that? Yeah. You know, I think um, a bit of that is ego, isn't it? Well, on it's, both counts, it's, on the vendor and the buyer. It's a bit of both, mm. you know. Um, I mean, we had some pushback from a, a potential buyer who said if there's going to be a renovation of another property in the street that he wasn't interested in the property because of the noise. Right. Well, yeah. you, you can't control those things, you know. There's, no. Yeah. You know, it's a bit so ridiculous, really. Some people that live outside of their own world and mm. <laughs> live in everybody else's garden. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's funny that we are looking at a property and... Um, <laughs> The neighbour, it's quite funny. I was actually thinking, oh, you know, going to check out the neighbour. I might have said this story before, but walked up around the oh, back yeah. of the property and the back of the house was burned down. Right? Right. And so, and they had no, like, they did later in the campaign, they had safety tape around the property. So it was very clear by the time it got to the auction that this house had, was going to get knocked down. Mm. But, you know, and but then as, as a buyer, we were like, look, baby on the way. You're going to be living have, next to a, you know, a, a, a building site. around for, it for a year or two. And yeah. it probably was a... Thing that really turned us off. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's I guess. True. It's true. Hang on a minute, though, because the reality is, and this we find this because, you know, we always check DA activity and see, mm-hmm. well, is someone going to renovate next door, et cetera, et cetera. I'm in the process of renovating. And it's funny because every time I tell somebody the extent of the renovation, they go, that, that's not a renovation, that's a rebuild. And it is a rebuild. Right. And so I'm renting while that's happening. And so. So it happens, my neighbor at the moment is doing exactly the same thing as I'm doing yes. in, in the next suburb. My neighbour wasn't as considerate to me as I was to my neighbours, I have to say. Yeah. He didn't bother mentioning yeah. that, oh, I'm moving out because tomorrow the demolition squad come in. Um, but I think to myself, and my neighbours have been fantastic, actually my new, actually my neighbours of mm. where I'm renovating my house and I'll be moving in because they see it as a benefit to the area. You know, the whole yeah. area is being up- upgraded. But it is quite temporary. And if you do get a bit of a discount buying it because it turns other buyers off, it's a short-term thing, really, in the whole yeah, scheme of things. Yeah, didn't turn off any buyers. Like <laughs> yeah. It went for, a, it yeah. went for uh, 25% over the guide. Um, oh, there you go. And it went for a huge price and it, it was, yeah. um, you know, that didn't turn off any buyers. <laughs> I agree, though. I mean, in this situation, like... It would improve the streetscape mm. because the neighbour was a bit of a rundown house. Yeah. If that did turn to a really nice architectural sort of build next to that, it would have improved the values. So mm. long term, it was mm. probably a good thing. Mm. Um, you're right, and we considered it as well. We thought, well, if they are going to do a knockdown rebuild, we can just rent this out for 12 months. We'll go rent something else, and we could deal with that challenge. Like, <laughs> if, if you know what I mean. Like I would find moving twice more stressful than just living through somebody's, mm. you know, seven a.m. starts. The really noisy bits is only for a little while, and then, you know. Well, one of the things we've just touched on is neighbours, and and I've been in the same house for fifteen years because we love our neighbours. Mm. So my wife says the thing she'll miss ma- most is our neighbours, not the house. Yeah. Um, and, and again, that's probably why people like coming to a place like Mossman because it's people like us yeah, yeah. as Here well. We and, um, before I got here this morning, I was up at Mossman Council and, um, they had, uh, four homes on the wall there for the Mossman Design Awards. So there's, uh, four beautiful homes that have, uh, come in there and so, you know, there's there's a lot of internal competition mm. to to make it a even mm. a, a nicer place to be. Yeah, but um, I had a friend come out from New York and um, we had lunch at the public dining room down on Balmoral, and then we finished lunch when they threw us out, and we went across to the boathouse and had a beer on the on the pier there. And he was 
just gobsmacked at what how good Sydney is, you know. Yeah, but that's not Sydney. <laughs> it is a certain pocket. Yeah. yeah, I mean that is pretty. But that's amazing. open to everybody. Yeah. That's yeah. open to everybody. They can. You know? yeah, everyone yeah. can visit. Yeah. yeah, if you're willing to pay the nine dollars an hour parking around there. Um, but I mean, so when you go to a hairdresser, right, and the hairdresser's got the cut, you go, you know, what do you want, mate? And then you you say, look, it's up to you. I trust you. I trust your creative genius, sort of thing. Or you get some people there who say, mate, I want short back and sides. You know, must go two two on the back, etc. You know, as a as a customer though, for the barber or the hairdresser, like they have a preference, right? They want to at least have their creativity in there and a bit, of, but a bit of guidance, right? Well, as a vendor, like what sort of vendors? Like, what's the perfect vendor for you, but not? You know, the, I guess what's the worst? I guess. Um, the the perfect one is someone that's on the same page. So when I go and meet the vendor in the first place. It's a job interview. They want to see if they want to hire me. But I'm I'm at a job interview too mm. because if I'm not on the same page with them, I don't want to go through eight weeks working with them. Mm. So it's very much uh, uh, getting to know you situation and often we're not going to decide either of us if we're the right fit on the day. So it might be a week later they might have seen, you know, done a bit of speed dating with a few others and then come back and say, no, you're the right guy. And I'll say, okay, well, I've, I've decided I'm happy to work with you because you follow, you can follow my process, mm. and your your um, attitude is that we're we're doing this for a reason. You know, we're not testing the market. You know, I know you want to move. You've got other plans. Then your motivation. So you know, unless a vendor's motivated, they're very hard to work with because they're just not listening. So true. I don't have to sell. I can always rent it out. What's all the other lines that they trot out? <laughs> all of them. Or you yeah. just haven't found the right buyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just if they've got four point five million, they've got five. Yeah. Oh yes, you know? that's another one. Yeah. Well, I've seen the car they drive. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think this interesting you made a real point there is that following your process because you've got a process that works because yep. that's what gets you and the customer the best result. Exactly. I find it quite. Um, you know, it's sometimes frustrating that, you know, and we don't, this is what won't work with these people sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, because generally we will get calls and, you know, they do want to take the conversation into a yeah. different process. Mm, yeah. And, you know, and I, my process will be to find out a lot about you and your plan mm. and where you're going and how, if this is the right decision or not and give yeah. you guidance and all that. That's what I love doing. That's, that's yeah. the fun for me. Yeah. If you try to take that away and say that you just want a mortgage, you want a lower rate. Well, I don't really want to do that. It's, yeah. It's, there's no... And well, the, the process is so important to mm. me that I wrote that book, Journey to Sold, mm. because that's the process. Mm. So I can say to people, here's, here's the education you need to work with any agent. Mm. If you hire me, this is the process where I'm going to take you from sign-up to putting the sold sign-up. And people have, who've read that book have said, you've given away all your secrets. This is like a blueprint of what you do. And I say exactly because the more educated my mm. vendors are about the process, they won't bucket. The, less, mm. the less stress we're going to have. It's yeah. just going to be smooth sailing because I'll be able to say, really? Refer to, refer to chapter three. Oh, no, yeah, that's hilarious. right. Exactly, you Chris, you're on board. It, yeah. <laughs> so Journey to Sold came about because my wife's a travel agent. Right. She's constantly putting together itineraries for people and the best clients let her do her job. Yes. And the worst ones want to do a bit here and a bit there. I know. Well, in my business, and I quote those who want to dabble a lot more yeah. and invariably they don't go with us. Yeah, my wife has a special file for those ones. Mm. 
But the journey then is not whether it's a, you're going on a trip around the world or you're selling the house. There's a process to do it. And if you follow the steps, it'll all happen seamlessly. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing a whole lot of money and or a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Jeff, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. I had um, just, I can't, I had a couple come to to an apartment. He sort of pushed past and she stayed to give a name and number. And and we were having spelling difficulty and number recall difficulty. And he then came out, was sort of going, nah, it's no good, no good. So they left. But really it was just a toilet stop. I mean, seriously. And <laughs> Did he actually go to the toilet? Yeah, and he didn't flush because oh, that would have given him away. No. You know? God, some people so are wrong, I'm, aren't they? I'm, I'm like, don't do that. You know, an open sign doesn't mean... Well, Public toilet. Clean toilet. I know it'll be clean, you know, I know, but... Sometimes when you are looking at houses, so you do going <laughs> house to house to house. Try being a buyer's agent, you know, like you're spending out there all day long, you know. You're trying to look for a pub. Well, oh, we're at a viewing You get night. there early, you ask if you can use the bathroom before yeah, the Yeah, we asked to use the bathroom, yet. but sometimes you've got to go, you've got to go. <laughs> oh, I actually find it hilarious. In the middle of an open house, you suddenly hear the toilet flush and you go, yeah. you're joking. Yeah. And somebody it. will walk out. Well, the flush is better than the not the flush. That's very you know? true, but no. even so, ask or just... just testing the toilet. That's all he was doing. Surely he can hold on. <laughs> you you always see the best in people, Chris. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, can you have to have a, a better dumb... I mean, sorry, that's not... A, not, not that there's a bad dumbo, but... Well, it, it comes back to what we're saying. The, the, if you're a buyer, make an offer. Because mm. if you don't, you just don't know what's going to happen. And I think people have to understand an offer's not binding. Mm. An offer just gives, gives you some credibility that you could be a potential buyer. That declares you know? interest. Declare Intent. your interest, absolutely. Mm. And then you'll get, you know, you'll, you'll be in the story rather than find out later mm. when you didn't have, and you go, oh, but I was interested. And you say, well, you, you neither took a contract, you didn't call me back, you mm. didn't, you know, respond in any way. So when the agents call you back, it's not to annoy you, right? No, they're it's trying to, see if you've to got a listing. They're trying to qualify <laughs> if you're the buyer for the property, you know? And there's there's fifty people looked at it and there's one house. Mm. So not everyone's gonna get to buy it, you know. We've got to find that one person. So yeah. offers are a funny thing though. I mean, there's offers. Hey mate, you know, what would you make an offer? Well, yeah, I'll give you two million for it. You know, I mean it's probably could be a bit pointless, could be a bit of a low ball. It's also, you know, it's not really an offer until it's probably in writing and it's not really then an offer if it's still on a contract and then it's not really then an offer unless you've got a 66W. Correct. I mean, how do you, like, what's, like, do you be the, and what's the best thing from a buyer? Do you be a bit stealth and say, I'm thinking about making an offer uh, and then I go in with the kill with a 66W? I mean, what do you think gets the best result? Um, when I've been a buyer and I, I have to buy houses from time to time, um, well, the buyers that work get the best result from you. Yeah, uh, the ones that get the best result from me are the ones that are, are open. And and I've had people come in and say, uh, yeah, your guide's two and a half. Here's a contract at two and a quarter. And, you know, put on the table and say we're, we're ready to go. And my response will be, well, I can't accept that. I'll have to talk to the owner, right? And then they get in their Bentley and drive away. So... <laughs> You go, 
Oh, they must have more. <laughs> but, yeah, nice try. <laughs> but, um, you know, at least we've got a place to start from. And the, the, that property ended up selling at two and a half because they showed that they were interested. They were at that point. We just hadn't agreed on the number, that's all. Right. So they'd agreed on a number without a discussion amongst with me. So always discuss it with the agent. It might save you a lot of time, you know. Well, in that particular instance, you were quoting two and a half. Was that for sale or an auction campaign? That was a for sale. Yeah, okay. So yeah. the asking price effectively was two and a half. Yeah. And, and they thought, well, if we go to the trouble of putting it all on the table, he'll yes. take it, you know, because agents will buckle and, right, you know. Right, right. And so my they were trying it was, on. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like the opening, opening gamut. It was, no, so the problem that they, they – the, where they went wrong was they didn't discuss it with mm, me first. Yeah, got it. They didn't right? pre, pre They just came in and yeah. said, there's the offer. It's valid till mm. the end of the day, right? So I don't respond well to um, timelines like that mm. because I said, well, what if I can't reach him today? Yeah. What if he's out on his boat? Mm. You know, what if he's – you know, so you give me an arbitrary deadline – and what happens if I get back to you tomorrow and say yes? Oh, well, yeah. we'll take it tomorrow. Well, then we don't it's have a deadline, deadline today, do we? Yeah. It's true, yeah. the arbitrary deadline. Everyone says oh, it's best practice. You've got to put a deadline on it. Well, there's got to be meaning behind that deadline. Mm. And I agree, you know, you've got to talk to the agent and make sure that you've logistically possible to exactly. make that deadline. You know, like mm. the owner might be in Puglia. Yes. Funny Lucky you should them. say that. I'm about to go to Puglia. Let's <laughs> say they had a conversation with you, though, then they said, yep. look, you know, we're thinking about making an offer, mm -hmm. you know, if we do come in. We'd like to put in an offer at two and a quarter. Yeah. And I say, but yeah. Not the price, though. Maybe if they want to say, I don't want to tell you what I'm going to offer, then they come in and tell you, look, this is our best offer. Yep. You know, you told us that your owner's in town. Yeah. You know, you should be able to make a decision on this today. Yeah. Would You know, do you think that's going to put them in a better lot with a 66W? They're going to be they're going to be the, probably the best offer of the day, aren't they? You know, so then it comes back to the owner: is the owner ready to sell today mm. at that price? Uh, are we are we one week into the campaign, or are we are we after auction? You know, or after sale? How long we've we been on the market? What other offers have we had? Mm. This is the point: if there have been no other offers, the owner's only got a reference of an offer below where they they think they need to be. Mm. So that's the point of buyers making offers is to help owners understand where where the pool of buyers are, you well, know. And then, then there's the thing that's always hard to get an owner to understand if there's no offers because their price is too high. Buyers only respond to the price unless they're being represented by somebody who understands how it all works. Yeah. But, you know, they, they respond to the price, don't they? So if yeah. it's too high, they just you get crickets. Yeah, And so exactly. then you're chasing it because the owner the owner's like, well, I've had no offers so therefore I won't move my price. Yeah. So the worst thing that can happen in any campaign is no offers. Because that's what the owner's waiting for. Yeah. And I've got one at the moment who says to me, "We've we've been on for ten weeks and I don't have an offer." Mm. And I said, "I know, and we've talked about it, haven't we?" <laughs> ten weeks. Wow, that's testing your patience. We isn't need it? to go online, don't we? We need to advertise the property. Oh, so it's not really on market. It's a secret. I love it. You know, so okay. uh, overpriced because secret, they don't perhaps? want to. They don't want to pay the advertising. Oh, the five grand. Yeah. They don't want to yeah. sell. Yeah. Do they really want to sell? Well, there's a question. So in between listing it and, and where we are today, they have actually moved out of the property. So that oh, probably indicates they do want to sell. It's funny because, you know, you talk about off-markets, and I guess we've got to wrap up in a minute, but you but you talk about off-markets being a, transacting around mm. about 20% mm. in your market. And there's a lot of buyers that seem to think that when there's no stock around, that's the answer. I want to buy an off-market property. And sometimes it is the answer, and we get access to a lot of off-markets. Yeah. Um, but 
often it's not because you've got owners that often aren't that motivated. Mm. So right. do you find that you get a lot more off markets that don't sell than do sell or what? Yeah, good question. Um, I think it, it comes down to the headspace of the owner. If the owner's doing off market because they really don't want to advertise it because they've Obviously. got other stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. Legitimate then, reason. Then they're yep. open to offers, mm. you know, and and again, the price they get for the house may not be the most important thing to yep. them. Yeah. It you know, there's other stuff going on, mm. and I think that's what we all forget is that you yep. know, it it's it, again, it, people say to me, but what happens if someone puts in the same offer? We both put in the same number. Mm. Well, you want to settle in twelve weeks, and this person yep. wants to settle in four weeks. Mm. That's a that's part of the offer. Yeah. You know, so the settlement terms are the owner actually wants to stay through to Christmas. Mm. So the longer terms suit them better than the shorter term. Yeah. You know, whereas you would think they want their money quicker. Mm. Not everybody does. Asking questions, so, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, so again, that whole conversation around an offer, mm. it's not just about the number. Yeah. It's about the circumstances around that. Mm. Um, and I recently had a property which sold and and now we're in the before settlement stage and the owners are saying, oh, we want 10 grand for the barbecue and the outdoor heaters. And <laughs> I said, well... I think you'll be taking them with you then. You left that a bit late. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's that's not going to happen. The, that, you the, know, the negotiation occurred. It's not my decision, <laughs> but I can knowing the buyers, mm. they're going to say you you can make sure you take them with you. Um, so so there's it? different different you know things. Well, I probably sold last week. So I was pretty shocked. Um, they listed on the Tuesday, on the Wednesday they didn't open, and they sold on the Thursday. Mm-hmm. But they styled this place. Mm-hmm. They spent. I don't know how much styling is sometimes. It's 15 grand. 15, yeah. yeah. Depends how many, like, it much furniture is involved. Yeah, I mean, mm. it was a pretty good job. All the all the photography, the listing, sure. et cetera. And it sold in two days. It didn't actually even have a Saturday open. It sold for a good price, not a stupid price. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, uh, less speed might have been why they really wanted to sell it. Like there's, there's a possibility, Chris, that the agent had been working with that buyer for some time mm. and, and, you only saw two days on the market. Yeah. They've yeah. had discussions for a month about it. Got you. And, um, you know, sometimes it takes it coming onto the market yes. to prompt the buyer to into doing prompt something. that buyer mm. to do it, you know. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, I, we, you know, and when I talk about a, a an off-market sale, it's an off-market sale at the moment before we go online. So if you, you've got a, a mm. genuine opportunity to buy it now, but if you don't, then when you see it advertised, you'll have competition. And it can go either mm. way because, mm. you know, I bought a property in April that had come to me off market in December. And I know December was a pretty flat market, but, you know, I bought in April for $800,000 less than they wanted in December. And it was always overpriced in December. Mm. I mean, time, we're just mm. going to wait for this one to come on market. We need mm. it to come onto market. Mm. And then on the flip right. side, one of my team, Dean, he had an opportunity to buy an apartment in, in Paddington and for a client and, and we would have been able to close the deal at a million and fifty. Um, the client decided against it and so then it did subsequently go to market and it's off 1.25. So mm. there's a $200,000 opportunity or an $800,000 waste of money. So mm. so they're not all exactly the same but, yeah, it, it yeah. can certainly go that way. And equally I can show property, I just sold a property to, to a young lady who saw it on the first day and she bought it two days before auction because it took that long to get her, her for her loan approval, you know? A few days before auction. Yeah. 
You've got problems with loading frills. Just send them my way. We can sort those out. I'm, uh, no problems with that. Now, I really appreciate the chat. It's been uh, very interesting. Right. And uh, now learns lots around lots of different areas of the market. And I think the, the prestige market, we haven't spoken about too much. So that's uh, it's interesting. And we're going to put the link. Uh, Jeff is actually generously offering one of his books for free, which is Sold Above Market. So we'll put the link in the show notes so that you can download that gratis if and, you're interested. Uh, the other one, Journey to Sold, is in all good bookstores right now. You can buy that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Thank Thanks, you. Rodney. Thanks. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is... Let's continue that conversation that we had with uh, Jeff around making offers. Now, in previous episodes when we've interviewed agents, and I highly recommend going back and, and listening to those ones, Two that spring to mind are the interviews with John Cunningham and Georgie Bates is when you are making an offer, you need to understand the rules of engagement. And what that means is, you know, Jeff talked about it, communicate with the agent. Now he's, you know, he just wants an offer and he wants to make sure that he's got the best chance of it getting accepted. And that's really what they want, you know, and you as a buyer need to understand how you're going to position your offer and put it together so that you've got the best chance of being accepted as well. You don't want to give too much money away, of course, and quite often buyers play silly buggers and they actually get agents offside or they make offers and they don't understand that logistically it's impossible to get an answer from a vendor in the time that they've given. There's so many nuances to getting an offer accepted and the one thing that I want to sort of really touch on here is that rules of engagement. So before you make an offer, and I'll bang on about this till the cows come home, you really need to work out what it's worth. You need to actually have done all your due diligence and fully understand exactly what you're buying and actually be ready to buy the property. Don't be making offers until you are. Definitely don't make offers on a Saturday at the end of the open house. You know, you haven't thought things through enough. It's quite often people make offers and then they think about it afterwards and realise that they made too high an offer. So first of all, you've got to actually set yourself up and understand what it's worth in the market and also what it's worth to you. And you've done all the things that you need to do in terms of due diligence. But then when you are ready to make that offer, yes, you need to sound out the agent say, look, I'm thinking about making an offer at X sort of level. What terms are important to the owner? You know, like what settlement terms, et cetera, that he talked about. That's the time to talk about inclusions. If you want that particular light fitting or the fridge included, you need to work out, well, what's the appetite to do that or not? And how will you treat my offer? What will you do once I give you an offer? Because you need to know, are they going to put you on ice and then shop you around to every other buyer? Or are they going to just give you a clear run? Or are they going to give everyone a deadline? I mean, what are they going to do? You need to understand that. And you can't buck the system either. You need to sort of work with that agent on that. But you can't go making an offer and expecting it just to suddenly be accepted, particularly if you're going in with a low ball, if you haven't done all that pre-work. Please join us for our next episode when we talk about the absolutely thrilling topic of insurance. Now, this could be really boring, but it's not because we have a very animated and passionate insurance advisor, Craig Bigelow, join us. We are going to find out how to avoid being underinsured and how to avoid being overinsured, and also some of the pitfalls of insuring inside of super, outside of super, how we need to protect ourselves, our families, and our biggest asset. Don't forget we're on all the social 
channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk, editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.